Yeah. Uh, well, good morning. I'm really excited to be talking about this chapter together. Um, and we are going to focus a little bit more towards the end of this, uh, of this chapter altogether. But maybe before we even get there, uh, something to think about as we get into some of these words is, is <clears throat> if someone's telling you a story, and uh, it's, it's a, a, an incredible sounding story, incredible as in like, it kind of like, is like, this is actually real. And the person sees the look on your face of like either cynicism or suspicion or like, you know, rolling your eyes a little bit. That person might say something like, well, well, hang on, just go with me here, and they might continue the rest of their story. What they're asking you to do is, like, is to just stick with me until the end of the story, and then you can figure out for yourself uh, if you want to believe it uh, or if it's just kind of incredible and not true. Either is it incredibly true or incredible and not true. And both of these, this, that idea of like, go with me, like just go with me here, um, has basically two, two ideas to it. One is... Uh, accept these words, at least for the time being, and then maybe at the end you can decide which way you want to go at the end of it. But secondly, like, go with me. Like, we're, go, we're going to go on this little, this little walk together. We're going to go on this little journey together. And both of those concepts of going with are going on here in chapter 48, especially the section we're going to look at. And so we're going to look at both of those ideas. What does it mean to go with God in his words to us, even when they seem kind of incredible? And what does it mean to, to go with him, as in actually to, like, to be with him? And both of those things are connected. And as we ask the question of what does it mean to go with God, there's also the question that comes up is, we're always going with something or with someone. So what ideas, what words, what people are we going with just kind of in life? We'll drift towards it by default, but then also there are times where we're more intentional and going towards things. I think we all want to go with the ideas and, and with people that we think is best, that we think will last, um, that we think is, or, or is good. And it's kind of how God made us. Like we're built... For, for following that. And the reason God made us that way is that so we would never miss out because he has a lot of words to say to us and he wants us to go with him. Uh, and not going with God's words means we will miss out on stuff and we'll get to that in a bit. But thankfully, and this is what we'll also see, uh, that Jesus frees us to be able to go with God, to be able to go with him in his word. So the three main things we are going to look at <clears throat> is how God goes with his word, how it's good for us to go with his word and how going with God's word frees us. But before, we're going to start really in verse 16, but before we do that, we're going to recap um, verses 1 through 15, just to uh, let, let you know that we're not skipping over it for, you know, we're, we're not skipping over it, we're just not talking a lot about it. Those first six verses of this chapter, it's basically God saying like, look, stubborn kids, listen to me. And he said this a lot of times to his people, to us, because we are stubborn, aren't we? God says, I told you I was going to do what I, was, what I did before uh, so you wouldn't rely that, on these false gods. Or when these things happened, you wouldn't think that these false gods came through for you. I want you to know that I did these things. And then verses 7 through 11, God talks, about, God talks to his people, who he loves, saying, you guys are rebels from birth. You guys were stubborn from the very beginning. And it's because of my patience that you haven't received the full punishment that you're due yet. And he's talk, God talks about how he refines his people, how he tests his people, not for their sake first, but for his own sake first, because they bear his name. And that's a really important like, differentiation. God does test us for our sake, but God also tests us for his own sake, because we carry his name. Uh, and if we do carry his name, we ought to act like we do. In verses 12 through 15, God says, look, in all of this, it might seem like impossible. And that's true. Only I can do what needs doing. You need rescue, you need justice, that's what I offer. That's what only I can offer, and I freely offer it. Um, and then, 
The end of verse 15, now he says, now come near and listen. Come here, come close and listen. And this is where we're going to get to what we're talking about here. Come near, uh, come near me and listen to this, how God goes with his word. God comes to us plainly. He doesn't hide himself and expect us to like sort through all these kind of secret codes in order to find him. Uh, there's no secret messages. He comes through his word, and God goes with his word. And there's, if you look at verse 16, uh, it's one of those verses maybe you can just kind of read, over, read through and be like, yeah, that's cool. But actually, it's just, there's three actors here. One is, uh, come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with the Spirit. So someone who's speaking who isn't the Lord, who is not Yahweh, who's not the Father, and that someone who's speaking is endowed with the Holy Spirit. You probably have a capital S in there for Spirit there. So we have the Father, we have the Son, the Spirit, kind of all acting, Trinitarian kind of act going on, or, or um, uh, presence going on here. So who is speaking here? Who's being sent? Well, Christians say this is the servant, capital S. Remember, that's a big theme in Isaiah, the servant, capital S, and servants, little s's. This is how Jesus loved to describe himself. And John makes much of this. I'm going to run through a bunch of verses here. You're not going to have time to write them down. John 5.23, Jesus says, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus loves to talk about himself in that way. 5.36, For the works the Father has given me testify that the Father has sent me. The reason why Jesus did works was to prove that the Father sent the Son. Verse 37, the Father who sent me himself has testified concerning me. And we're reading one of those things here. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless a Father who sent me draws them. Jesus could have said, no one comes uh, to me un unless the Father sends them. But he says, the Father who sent me sends them. 6, 57, just as the living Father sent me. 8, 16, I stand with the Father who sent me. 8, 18, my other witness is the Father who sent me. 12, 49, the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. 14, 24, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is speaking in a very kind of particular way. And what we see here in Isaiah, and what we're going to hear through the rest of this message, is that Jesus is speaking to us from the Old Testament. And if he's God... That makes sense. The Father is sending the Son, and we've already talked a few places uh, previously in Isaiah where that comes up. But then we also see this, he's endowed with his Spirit. This is the idea that the Holy Spirit is sent as well with, with Jesus. I and mean, even Jesus relied on the power of the Spirit. This is God being empowered by God. It's kind of a weird way to think about it. And also the other way to think about it is like if Jesus needed to be empowered by the Spirit, maybe we might need to as well, because we're not gods. We probably needed the help a little bit more. So this cosmic Trinitarian kind of thing is going on. Jesus uh, is speaking. The Father is sending. The Spirit is powered. For what? Well, God has something to say to us. God has a word for us. God has words for us. He has many words for us. It doesn't come from far away. He asks us to come near, because when he speaks to us, he wants to look into our eyes. He wants to see the reflection of himself. He wants to see how you react. He wants to be close so that you can hear the intonation of his voice. There is a close presence of God as we encounter him in his word. Now, sometimes it might feel like he's really far off, especially when we read things in the Old Testament, like I only understand 1% of this. But that's not a fault of God, really. That's a, that's a fault of us. And the more we study it, the more we learn about it, uh, the more we get to understand who God is. See, God and his words to us are never separate. They're never separate. God goes with his word, and not just like a little bit. The full weight and measure of the Trinity, as we see here, 
always goes with his words. And if that sounds a bit incredible, yes, it is. And that's exactly what we should expect from a God. That's how a God should act. But, you know, on one side, you're like, oh, how in the world is that true? On one side, it also makes complete sense because what would it be like for your actual words to come out of your mouth for them to be disconnected or disembodied from who you are? That doesn't even really make any sense. I mean, maybe the closest thing is like a phone call. But you can't, like, be speaking to someone on the other side of the phone and not actually be present with your voice. Like, that's just a weird thing. An in-person conversation where you're talking to someone and you're not there, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't make sense. This is the same kind of thing with God, only because he's God. He can be speaking many words instead of just one word at a time. And as silly as it would be for your own words to be disembodied from you, that's just as silly as trying to separate who God is from his word. So two things we can learn from this. Uh, and I'll tell you, this is why it matters. Where God is at work, so also his word. Following Jesus requires us to follow his word, even when it might offend us. And everyone here is offended by the Bible, every single person. Every person who's a Christian is offended by the Bible. If you aren't offended by God, you are worshiping something, it's just not God. Like, it's just, you are offended by him. So we can't like Jesus and not his words. Imagine if someone tried to say that about you. Oh, I like you, I just don't like you when you talk. I guess, you know, like, what, if a man was to say that to his wife, that would be the, the pinnacle of like male chauvinism. Oh, you're great, wife. I just, can you stop talking? Like, it's just horrible. That's, that's horrible, right? That's the same kind of thing we do to God. we like, this is really great as long as it's like this. Because when it's like this, then we got a lot of words going on. Like, this is how we want God to be. But every time we open the Bible, God opens up his mouth, whether we like it or not. And we will be offended. So we can't like Jesus and not his words. In fact, Jesus himself, in John 10, 35, says, Scripture cannot be set aside. Oh, there we go. Scripture cannot be set aside. So you, there's, it, it, it just is a logical impossibility, let alone all sorts of other issues, to say you follow Jesus and you don't follow his words. It just doesn't make any sense. Where God is at work, so also his words. So there's that true, but then the opposite of that is true as well. Where his word is, so also God. But where God is at work, also his word, where uh, his word is, so also God. See, we devote a really good chunk of time on Sundays to reading the Bible, and we just read a whole chapter in Isaiah, of all books. Like, we could, we could have been doing something more productive, right? No, of course not. Reading the word itself is a great thing. And we spend a good chunk to reading it, to learning from it, because these, we believe, these are actually God's words to us. If we actually believe that, then surely it makes sense for us to spend a good amount of time talking about what he's saying to us. We believe he has things to tell us. And we want more of the God, not of God, not less. So we organize our Sunday around being able to preach. And not just on Sundays, in your missional communities. You study the Bible because that's where God is found. It's so important for you to be present in those missional communities to grow closer to God. And I bet nearly every single person in this room, myself included, underestimates that. Then we all underestimate how important it is for us to be present in our missional communities as we read the Bible together. Because we read the Bible in our missional communities because that's how we grow closer to him. That also means that when you speak with someone and you bring his words into that conversation, then that's God as well. Now, I'm not saying you have to like drop some gospel grenades and do some Jesus jukes or you know, all the kinds of things that we Christians like to do to get out of what might be awkward, tricky situations. Like, oh, well, don't you know, you know, and you spout some kind of scripture verse and the person's like, well, that was weird. Um, everybody's like that. But I'm saying if you actually bring God's words into a conversation in a way that makes sense, know that you're not just quoting scripture 
and you, or you can talk about the Bible too in a way that's different than quoting scripture. You're not just quoting scripture, you're bringing God into the conversation in a way that he wasn't present before because he goes with his word. It's not just you speaking when that happens. It's God speaking through you because it's his words. Or his word is, so also God. Now, of course, there are good ways and bad ways to do that. We're not going to talk about that. But that general principle is true. So God goes with his word. Uh, these next kind of verses we have, verses 17 through 19, we're going to look at how it's actually good for us to go with God's word. So God goes with his word, and that's actually a good thing for us. I mean, God's made us in a way that uh, we should enjoy his presence and we should enjoy his words. So it's a good thing for us to go with God's word. Uh, verse 17, God says, how, uh, um, uh, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. It might be easy to know what good things are, but God gets to teach us what the best things are. There are lots of good things out there. We can spend our lives doing lots of good things. What's the best thing? I don't know. God will tell us. And it's one thing to know what is best. It's another thing to know how to get there. And when that's what we get to next. The next little section of verse 7, he directs you in the path. Not only here's what you should be doing, but also like here's how you can do it. Both of those things are necessary for a good life. And in verses 18 through 19, God's trying to give us a little bit of FOMO uh, for what we miss out on when we don't listen to him. Like, oh, if only it would have listened to me, this is what your life could have been like. Just like holding out this great picture, but at this time, God's people are not following. Um, so first, peace would be like a river. Now that might sound like a kind of a generic metaphor, and that's just because it's become generic in our time. Uh, peace, a, a river is a symbol of something that never stops, it's perpetual. So an aspect of following God and his word is perpetual peace, unstoppable, regardless of the season. That we would have well-being like waves of the sea. Waves are a symbol of power. And well-being, a way we might talk about well-being could be like positive mental health. That would mean our mental health has a resilience to it when we go with God's word that it doesn't have otherwise. Not under the power of any external things, but powerful because God's at work there. And then it says you would have lots of kids, you have lots of descendants, now, what is that all about? Um, and maybe you're like, I don't want lots of descendants. Can I please not follow God's word? Because I don't want a whole lot of those things. Um, well, a promise of descendants is, is a, it's like a legacy. It's especially written in this time. It's a life of meaning, a life of, of, um, of worth meant to have a lot of kids. And those kids who have kids. And, those have, and it's something that endures when, even after you're gone. So it's not only a legacy, but there's also a life of meaning if you have a lot of kids. So it's a legacy, there's a meaning, which is something that we're all looking for, whether that's found in kids or not. But then there's also, in the Old Testament, descendants was a symbol of God's divine blessing. There's probably no bigger physical blessing from God than him saying, I'm going to give you a lot of kids, and him giving people a lot of kids in the Old Testament. So this is about a legacy. This is about a meaningful life and, and God's blessing, whether it's actually about children themselves physically or children in like the spiritual sense. So... Let's just recap these kind of few verses here. When we don't listen to God's word, here's what we have problems with. Knowing what is best, knowing how to go about it. We have a problem with peace. We have a problem with our mental health. And we miss out on something bigger than us, and we miss out on God's blessing. That's when we don't follow God's word. And we do listen to God's word. It's for our good. We get to learn about what is best. We get to find out what's worth giving our energy to. Uh, we find out how to find meaning. We get to learn how to go about this kind of meaningful life. And when we listen to God's word, we get to be rooted in peace. We get to positive well-being. Uh, this is how we can go through very difficult times and not be destroyed. We also get to be part of something bigger than ourselves and experience nothing less than being blessed by God. So there's a lot of positives following and a lot of negatives for not following him. 
Now, none of this is supposed to be an answer to life. Like, oh, here's the formula. Just follow God's words and therefore, ah, no problem with like mental health anymore or no problem with, you know, this or that anymore. That's not what God's saying. He's saying this is how your life will generally be characterized and the trajectory of your life if you follow the way I go. If you don't follow these ways, you're going to miss out. Which makes a lot of sense. I mean, the way God speaks to his people is just how like a parent talks to a kid. Like, if you listen to me, things are going to go well. And of course, you know, the kid maybe listens, maybe doesn't. The kid doesn't listen. Bad things happen. The kid does listen. Things go well. It's very kind of um, fatherly in a, good, in a good sense. Now, let's all say we're all on board with that. We may or let's say, oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. So go with me on this as we figure this out. We may or may not be reading the Bible as much as we'd like to. Actually, I've probably rarely met someone who feels, yeah, I read the Bible enough. It's like prayer. Like, do you pray enough? And everyone has to say no. Even if you do, you have to say, no, I don't pray enough. You know, I, we always need to pray. We always feel like we need to write, read the Bible a little bit more. But let's be plain here. Regardless of where you are with actually reading, spending the time that you feel like is right or not, there's no lack of clarity as to the benefits of a life organized around the word. And we all might maybe want to be reading more, maybe we feel like we're okay, but the one thing that there's no lack of clarity on is the benefits of a life that's organized around God's words to us. And you know, it doesn't actually really take a whole lot. Nothing here really requires you know, three hours of intense study from 4 a.m. in the morning or something crazy like that. To get the benefits that God's talking about here, it could just really be just 15 minutes in your day. That's 15 minutes pretty well spent. We all have 15 minutes we waste on things that are way less important than I'm sure. All of these benefits here are waiting for us. All we have to do is, is open this up and read. And we may not always understand it, and I think that's okay, but every time we open this up, God is opening his mouth. And every time you read is not going to be transformative and amazing and supernatural and you're not going to like be lifted onto like this, you know, another level of nirvana heaven or something like that. But a life of reading will transform you. I, I've, I don't know if I've ever had a time where reading the Bible by myself in one sitting felt transformative. But I know that a life of reading the Bible has been transformative for me. A habit of being with God, which is what reading the Bible is, you're being with him, transforms us because he goes with his word. He's not, these aren't just words. These are him speaking to us, saying, come near. I got these words I want you to know. Now, if you have questions uh, on how to do this or, or uh, whether starting from scratch or if you just want to get more time out of what you already put in with the Bible, um, that's a great thing to be talking about in your missional communities. That's a great thing to you know, text somebody or message someone about. It's also what core groups are for. Some of us are in core groups. Um, and of course, you can always talk to me about that, whether you're starting from absolute zero or whether you feel like you're a pro or something like that. Probably very few of us feel like we're pros, myself included. So might, that, might, that might put you at ease. So God goes with his word, and it's good for us to go with his word. Uh, there's another thing here, though, that going with God's word frees us. It's like another level. There's these last three verses here in the chapter, starting in verse 20. Um, and, and God kind of sets this up because in the very beginning of him saying these things to us in verse 17, he said, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So a redeemer frees someone from a situation where they were um, previously unable to care for themselves. A redeemer would step in and care for them and take them under the wing and basically bring them into their family or be their family for them. And this is, God loves to call himself our redeemer. It's a good name for a church, I think, actually. Actually, I didn't think that originally. It was Christina's idea originally. 
I was anti-redeemer in the beginning, um, which makes me sound very unchristian. But it's, it's one of God's like, favorite titles for himself. He loves calling himself his redeemer. And we've seen it loads in Isaiah. But in verse 20, what we find is how the redeemer redeems. He doesn't just say it. He does it. God proclaims a release from God's people from a place that is not their home and calls them back to home. And this is something that God speaks into action. Like through his words, they happen. Uh, God reminds his people of times where he's freed them in the past. This is verse 21, um, talking about the Exodus. So uh, the Israelites were uh, enslaved to Egypt and God freed them from Egypt and they were kind of they basically originally freedom to worship him, but they didn't really want to worship him, so they wandered around the desert for 40 years. But even in their wandering, even in being freed from God and, and wandering around, God still provided for them. Uh, and so these, that verse in 21 is showing how uh, water comes from them in a situation where water was really difficult to find. So taken when God freed people, uh, from, uh, when God freed his people from Egypt, and what we see in that verse there is that God not only frees them, See, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. So his servant Jacob is another way of saying Israel, God's people. But he provides for them after he frees them. They didn't thirst. They're in the desert wandering around. They didn't thirst. They didn't go hungry. God provided for them. God doesn't just set us free and say, cool, you're on your own. Figure yourself out. Like now you're outside of the house. He doesn't free us and say, okay, now sort yourself out or figure out how to do things. No, he provides and he leaves. He never abandons. And there might be times in your past where you can look back and remember what he's done in a way that's kind of similar to that verse 21, looking in the past and how he came through in ways that outside of him coming through, you'd be in trouble. But what if God's people heard this and didn't listen to it? Because you can hear something and not hear. You can listen and not listen, right? That's why I tell, if I tell Colin, listen to me, I'm not saying, I want you to hear these words and then act as if you didn't hear these words. You know, like we want him to follow through. It requires an action. So if we don't just hear God's word, we follow through. If we just hear God's word and don't do anything about it, we're going to miss out. We listen to it. We go with it. And that requires some level of obedience. Every single one of us has already heard and will hear God uh, speaking to us today. He already has. What are we going to do with that? And so that question of what if they didn't listen is answered in verse 22. So you're like, where in the world did verse 22 come from? God's like, I freed you and provided for you. There's no peace for the wicked. Like, what? That's a strange kind of jarring thing. What's going on there? God's people continue to not listen to him. One commentator wrote, a change of scene for God's people didn't produce a change of heart. God's people were kind of these refugees in another country. God brought them back. He, he, he changed like the way world leaders interacted. He changed all these kind of external circumstances in order for God's people to come back to this home that he originally provided them for. But that change of scenery didn't produce a change of heart in them. They escaped captivity, but they can't escape their own character. Their physical home was supposed to lead them to a spiritual home. And when they came back to that home, they didn't come back to God. They continued on their stubborn ways. After all that, after, I mean, Isaiah's long. That's what most of Isaiah, that's all it's about. After all that, God's people still didn't listen. They heard the words, but they didn't listen. And of course, we know it's the same for us. We hear these words every single week. And we think, ah, oh, if only I'd change my job. Or, ah, oh, if only I get, you know, if only my kids would listen. Or whatever the thing is, like your living situation, your habits. Really, you can change all those things. And all those external things will never be enough. We will hear these words, 
but it's more than having them wash over us. So the question is, how can we avoid that verse 22 thing? There is no peace for the wicked. How can we avoid missing out on all the things that God talked about in verses 17? How can we have a change of heart? The answer is in Israel's future. See, prophecy, which is what Isaiah is, is one prophecy. Prophecy, which is the whole of this book, can have a dual aspect. It can be, it's like when you are on a walk and you're far away and you see maybe the top of a mountain or a hill, but the closer you get, you see, oh, there's actually like two hills there. I didn't see that until I got closer to it. There's like, as you walk on the road, it progressively gets revealed to you that that hill was not one, but it was two. One mountaintop can become two as you approach. And this prophecy is about Isaiah's, uh, Israel's historical position, and it's also about the future. Isaiah's prophecy is a continuation of what God had promised Abraham. God's promises to Abraham didn't come true for Abraham. It didn't come true for Abraham during his time. It didn't come true for Abraham during Isaiah's time. And as you read the Bible, God gives a growing clarity. What was a seed in the beginning sprouts and, take, and takes root. All these promises, all these prophecies that God has promised Isaiah, it was impossible for them to come true unless God would make them true. And as in verse 16, the Trinity is still at work. The Redeemer still redeems on a scale much bigger than a nation, on a scale much bigger than an ethnic group. See, the Redeemer, Jesus himself, continues to go with his word. The Trinity continues to be at work in our world through the word. And the only thing that will bring a change of heart for us, the only hope we can have is for him to do it for us, for someone to do that, to transform what was in here previously into something new. Now, that's not something we as humans have the power to do. We've been trying to do it since we've been around, but we don't have that kind of power. This is what it means for the Redeemer to redeem, to set us free, to release us from uh, to be who we were meant to be. And as Jesus changes our hearts, this new heart we have is now orientated towards his word in a way that it couldn't be before. And unless Jesus has changed your heart, you really can't take the advantages here in this word because it's a spiritual exercise. It's not an intellectual exercise by itself. It's a spiritual exercise. It requires a new heart to understand. And so now following the sent one, the one that Jesus loves to talk about himself, means we are sent ones. What, this is what Jesus is doing right now. You can't follow Jesus without following Jesus, right? Like following him doesn't act, you can't follow him without doing the things that he does. The transformation of our hearts by Jesus continues as we join him in the process of transforming other hearts. That's what the church is all about, joining Jesus in his task in this world. And if you think that's an impossible task, yeah, you're right, it is. Literally impossible. God has given us a task we can't do ourselves. And that's not to drive us mad, uh, that's to drive us to him. John 14, 26, Jesus says this, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom, there we are, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, we don't do this alone. When we speak God's words, it's not us, not just us. It is us, but it's not just us. It's we join God in his mission. And we already talked about in, in chapter 42 how the way that God is going to undo unjust systems is through sending his word into the world. And how does he do that? He sends us. I don't want to perpetuate unjust systems of his word not being out there. Near the end of um, John's gospel, before Jesus sends the Holy Spirit out to all of those who follow him, uh, he tells them and is telling us today in John 20, 21, says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just as Jesus was sent from the Father, he's sending us. 
So that means it's not up to us to have to do it, to you know, work up the energy and the boldness in ourselves in order to say that thing that we're completely freaked out about to a work colleague. It's about relying first on the Holy Spirit to be working through us because the Spirit wants to speak to people. Now we end each worship gathering with this truth that we are sent. And we say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are sent. We say that every single week. And there's a reason why we do that. Because of what we read here. Because of, how, because of these words from Jesus here. We're sent to be a blessing to people. We're sent to love people who are unlovable. We're sent to enjoy every good gift God has given us in this world. We're sent to go with God. We're sent to go with his word. This is actually really, really good for us. And it's also really, really good for other people. This is God's good mission for the world. Now, there was a price to be paid in order for this to happen, in order for this to happen, to get this change of heart. A redeemer has to, you had, normally has to pay some kind of price in order to redeem. And Hebrews 9, 15 talks about this a little bit. Now, this is a massive verse. We're going to touch on it slightly. So don't get freaked out by all the things that are theological things that are going on. Um, I know how you guys get freaked out by all the theological... No, you don't. The, um, Hebrews 9.15 says this, For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Let's talk about this just for a moment before we get into the Lord's Supper. The Redeemer died as a payment to set us free. The old covenant... The one where people were missing out on God and, and, and um, didn't listen to God and they ended up being super stubborn and they were wicked. The old way of, of working under Moses' law in the Old Testament, that old way of how God has worked, uh, and ongoing here with Israel in the Old Testament, it held God's people back because we weren't good enough. We couldn't change our hearts. We couldn't follow him. Even just briefly, we've seen how changing all sorts of external things doesn't lead to change of heart. And of course, we know that in our own experience as well. But Jesus the servant capital S, comes in charge of a new covenant, a new way of God working in this world. And only through Jesus, who leads this new way of doing things, can we get this inheritance where we will never die. Our hearts are changed, and now we can enjoy the benefits of God and his word. And that's what makes us Christians. That's the difference of Christianity and every kind of religion. And knowing what is worth spending our lives on, enjoying unstoppable peace, going through life with resilient mental health, getting to be part of something bigger than ourselves, getting to be having a life that's blessed by God. Jesus died as a ransom to set us free. Jesus died as a ransom to make everything we talked about true today. And the night before he did this, he gathered his closest friends. He didn't have very many. He had 12, and even one of them wanted him dead. Nobody there was very impressive, and one was going to betray him. To remember his death, to remember this ransom that Hebrews talks about, he gave some very basic instructions. He said, when you meet together, take this bread and eat it, which is found in here. Remember it as my body, what it costs to free you, that you may go with my word. That's what we get to do. We get to go with his word. And he said, when you come together, take this cup and drink it. Remember it as my blood, poured out that you may go with my word. One of the reasons that Jesus died was so that we would go with his word. Jesus has freed us through his words, and Jesus, the word, doesn't want us to miss out on going with God and his word.